This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the uh, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operation and your host for today's program. This edition of Ringler Radio is coming to you from the annual meeting of the American Association for Justice being held this year in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. And uh, as you know, Chicago is known as the Windy City. Of course, someone once told me that every town that lawyers get together in is kind of a windy city. I don't know about that. Well, anyway, uh, you should know that you can listen to every Ringler Radio show free from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or on the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. And remember, as a special note, you can also get CLE credit for listening to Ringler Radio at law.com's CLE Center. You should take advantage of that. Well, since we first went on the air here at Ringler Radio, uh, I've been privileged to talk to many of the top lawyers in America. And although they all came from different areas of expertise... They had one thing in common. Uh, They all worked extremely hard. And these long hours and the stress of the work uh, can take a toll on a lawyer's professional and personal life. And uh, you can say that our guest today actually wrote the book on the subject. Because uh, our guest today is Gary Gwilliam from the firm of Gwilliam, Ivory, Chioso, Cavalli, and Brewer. I love those long names. Gary's firm has had its roots in Oakland, California for more than 30 years. And he's considered one of the best consumer trial attorneys in the state of California. Uh, but more than that, he's a terrific author of a great book. And uh, welcome to Ringler Radio, Gary. Thank you, Larry. It's a privilege to be here, and uh, thank you again for having me on. I know they always call it the Bay Area. They always refer you. He's from the Bay Area. But you're, you're really, uh, your office is in Oakland, California. My so. roots are in Oakland. They've been there for a long time. Super. Well, you're one of the most uh, respected and successful trial lawyers in California. You've tried many big cases, uh, and I know a lot of the uh, uh, you know, focus of your work is workers' rights. And uh, you won the largest award ever given a, in a national uh, in a hand injury case nationally. And uh, you've handled whistleblower work, sexual harassment cases, discrimination lawsuits. Uh, you've done a lot, but you're really being known right now for a book you've written, right. and it's called Getting a Winning Verdict in My Personal Life, A Trial Lawyer Finds His Soul. Well, tell us about uh, what prompted you writing the book, and tell us what it's about. Well, Larry, after being a trial lawyer for 40 years, I've tried 175 jury trials to verdict. I've seen so many of my colleagues and friends uh, go down to stress and alcohol abuse and the problems that have uh, that come from a very conflictual uh, profession. And a number of years ago, after my life changed and I kind of straightened out, I decided that I wanted to start talking to lawyers about what I call is real, uh, the real issues in our life and how we can keep some balance in our life. Because uh, so many of my colleagues do great work and it's important that we go out there. But if you can't take care of yourself, if you fall into alcohol abuse, if stress gets you, if you're working so hard you can't see straight, pretty soon you, you uh, collapse and fall down. And, and so I started to talk to lawyers a long time ago, giving a series of lectures called How to Get a Winning Verdict in Your Personal Life. And I talked about quality of life and substance abuse. And during the course of that, I became very honest about my own life, 
my alcohol problems, my relationship problems, my work problems. Uh, my successes were there. People knew who I was. I was leader in the organization, so maybe I could get away with it. Uh, and about two years ago, I decided to take this a step further and really write a complete book about my life and what it's really, really like to be a trial lawyer for 40 years, the stresses we go through, how hard it is to really get through there, and my own kind of unusual path to get to where I was. So I've laid out my soul in this book and really told it very honestly about what my life is about. Well, you know, you did. You, you revealed an awful lot about your own personal experiences and how they shaped your career and your life. But it must have been difficult to share these painful, some of them painful experiences. How, how was that for you to you know, bear your soul out there? You know, Larry, strangely enough, it's very freeing to stand up and be really honest. I talk about things that people just wouldn't believe who know me. Like I was a gang member when I was a kid. I took heroin. I stole cars. I got into wild stuff. I couldn't get into any college. I talk about the problems I had with alcohol abuse and difficulties I have and being in the fast lane, the trialer, and the stuff we did. Uh, yeah, I needed to lay it out. But, you know, if you don't tell your story honestly, what good is it? Yeah. During the course I was writing this book, this the million pieces story came out, and this guy on Oprah lying about it, and that, that turned me off. So if you read in my book, at the beginning of my book, I say, you know, I've, been, I've seen people take the oath and tell the truth, and I swear in my book that what I tell is the truth and the whole truth. And if you lay yourself out honestly, you get a response back. If you just stand up and do a list of 10 things you should do, then it's do as I do, just do as I say, and that's not enough. Well, that's true, and of course, James Fry suffered from that, And uh, but maybe we can get you on Oprah. Maybe you can tell the real story of what, you, what you've done. <laughs> well, nice. t- tell me about the stress level. You, you talk about the stress level of lawyers. Uh, today, 2007, how does it compare to, let's say, 30 years ago uh, in the legal profession? Well, I don't think it's significantly different. I think, I think we've been in a conflictual relationship. You know, we, tr- we try less cases now, in a way. So in a way, you maybe don't have as much courtroom stress, but there's still a stress of work and having so many clients. And in our business, where we're consumer attorneys, where we're civil rights attorneys, and we're after the big corporations and the big guys, we don't get anything unless we take it away from them. Every case is a fight, and every case is trying to help your clients who are injured and disabled and stressed out. And, you know, it takes it out of you, and uh, I, I think it always has to lawyers who care and lawyers who really put themselves out for their clients. It's there. But it strikes me that uh, years ago, uh, a lot of the cases were, I would call them a little more simplistic. There were one defendant, one plaintiff. Now you've got these class action suits. You've got these huge corporations with all the, the firepower they have to try to defend themselves, all the, uh, the, the little maneuvers that can be made. Uh, it's got to it's gotta put a tremendous amount more stress today, I would think, than it was in, let's say, the halcyon days when it was an auto accident world. Well, I agree with what you say, and I think there's another factor in that it makes it a lot harder now than it was 30 years ago, and that is this whole attitude of jurors that have been sold the idea that there's a tort reform out there and that plaintiff's lawyers aren't any good, oh, and we have become the scapegoat of it. it. 30 years ago, when I'd stand up in court and I'd have an injured party, I, I expected a little, if not sympathy, at least empathy and somewhat. Now you stand up and they say, oh, one of these ambulance chasers and people are looking down their nose at you. Even on a serious, you've got somebody in a wheelchair there. Right. And uh, they, people have been sold a bill of goods and they understand more about the legal profession, but they have misunderstandings about it. So I think we start uh, with a little more prejudice against us and our clients. I, that's what bothers me about my clients. Well, and, but, uh, and I know the media 
does an awful lot more today. There are a lot more television shows about right. lawyers. Uh, I know my wife watches that Law & Order all the time. So there are uh, preconceptions about how trials ought to go, how exactly. lawyers ought to speak, and uh, I'm sure you have to, you've fallen into that as well. Yeah, it, it does make it more, it, you know, it just makes the fight a little harder. I think, you you know, the, the playing field gets a little more tipped, and so you're moving uphill a little more. So, uh, you know, we need to, to, to come back to my theme, uh, a little metaphor that I use about lawyers is we need to take care of our clients. Now, if you were in an airplane and this little yellow thing came down and, and oxygen lost us, what would you do? Would you go out and put it on your kids? Would you put it on everybody else first? No. You've got to take care of yourself. So we need to take care of ourselves before we take care of our clients and fight for the causes we believe in. And that's why I think it's critically important that we be careful and watch ourselves, whether it has to do with drinking or substance abuse or taking care of ourselves or our mental health or whatever. We need, to, we need to get in touch with that. And lawyers are not very good at that. They're smart. They're left brain. They think they can figure it all out. And that's just not true. And the next thing you know, they're laying there with a heart attack or they've got a serious alcohol problem or their marriage is broken up. Um, exactly. I've had all the above except the heart attack. <laughs> there you go. Well, I just hope I don't have that oxygen mask come down to have to make that decision. But I know one thing. They always tell you, breathe normally. After you put it on. You know, there right? you go. Exactly. Well, you must talk to a lot of young lawyers today in law schools, et cetera. What message are you giving these young lawyers as they go out? They're about to embark on this uh, you know, stressful work uh, environment. What are you telling the young lawyer as they enter the profession today? I think a lot of young lawyers start out with enthusiasm. What happens is it's, it's not the young lawyers so much. It's the one that have been in practice a few years when they get caught up in the cogs of a big firm and realize that they're doing nothing but grinding out hourly work and they've lost their sense of their way with their cause of justice. So the young lawyers out of law school are a little easier because they're, they, they haven't, been, they haven't uh, hit the road yet. It's the ones that have hit the road down the line a little bit that I really focus on more because that's where the stress begins to come after they've been out there for a while, and that's when they begin to really need to take care of themselves. Well, let's talk about that. You give a lecture, let's say, in front of a lot of lawyers. I'm sure you get feedback from the talks you give. What, what are some of the feedback you've been getting from people you've been talking to and trying to instill this, uh, this concept of, you know, evening your life out? Well, Larry, I think anybody can get up and talk about uh, signs of stress and signs of alcohol and taking care of yourself and list it off, and there's people that do it. But what I do that I think is different, and what I think is different about my book is that I personalize it. I mean, I talk about what it was with me, what it went through with me when I lost. And one of the things I talk about in my book that's very different, it's the beginning of the book, is what happens when you lose a case. People never want to talk about that. It's like win, win, win. Every mm. subject we have out here is about winning. Whoever talks about losses? I wrote a, one of the first major articles in Trial Lawyer Journals a dozen years ago about loss. It's called The Art of Losing after I lost a case. And I, and I start this book with a very painful case that I lost. Why? Because I want people to know what it's really like and that they need to come back and be able to realize that that's what we're supposed to do. Lawyers are not supposed to win every case. We're supposed to take the cases we believe in and fight for our causes of justice. And sometimes we're going to win and sometimes we're going to lose. I think we, we get uh, this whole concept of win-win, whether it's lawyers or sports or business, leads ultimately to unethical conduct. Oh, you often hear... You win at any cost. Yeah, you know, and you often hear, uh, I've heard a lot of business folks and, uh, and sports stars talk about they actually learn more from their losses than they ever do from their wins. How does that... Uh, I've had lawyers all over the country tell me that time and time again. Mm -hmm. Many, many of them have come up and talked to me about how the fact... 
But the problem is not only that, but in our field particularly, it's almost taboo to talk about your losses. You're not supposed to talk about your losses. If a good lawyer comes up to me and says, you know, I lost a case, I would sympathize with them. But what I find that's interesting, Larry, is that we're so hard on ourselves. We hold ourselves up to these standards, and, and I tried to um, personalize this book, the sense of shame, the sense of, of why did I lose this case, and mm-hmm. I was just so hard on myself that I needed to go hit the bottle to try to anesthetize the pain of that loss. And if I could help people understand that a little better and ease back, because you, you don't feel this way with another person that comes up and says, I lost a case or I went through this. You have some sympathy for it. But when you do it, all you do is replay it. Why didn't I do this? And you just beat up on yourself. Sure, sure. It's, it's almost human nature to, to, to question your own self-worth after, after a period of time when you do that. Now, there are a lot of, you know, we know there are a lot of lawyers around. I mean, there are 200,000 lawyers over that in California right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe, you know, you, you would say a percentage of those guys are, or, or those lawyers are heading for these kinds of problems. Uh, you know, the one thing that I can't recall, though, is I don't hear about lawyers going postal and doing, you know, all those really outrageously violent type of things. It's usually introspective. It's drinking. It's, it's those right. kinds of darker issues. Is that, is that what you say? Yeah, seen? they turn it on themselves, I think, whether it's, you know. The, the statistics show, Larry, that uh, among lawyers we have the highest rate of depression, we have the highest rate of suicide, the third highest rate of any uh, other profession. We have one of the highest rates of, of alcohol abuse and substance abuse. And when you look at lawyers that went wrong, and, and part of what I talk about is ethics. Mm-hmm. But I talk about it in the sense of preventative ethics. Before we get to the point where somebody has got a conflict of interest or has cheated their client or has lied in court, what led them to that? It usually is that they've broken down their values. And they've broken down their values because they needed to win so badly. And the stress was on them. Well over 50% and possibly as high as 80% of all the lawyers who are disciplined for doing bad things, whether it's lying or, or, or stealing clients' money or whatever they do, involve substance abuse. And the substance abuse usually comes out of where it did in my life. I began to drink for stress. I cut that point over where I needed to, to anesthetize myself because my work was so hard. And I had so much pain, and I didn't know how to deal with it. Well, when did you realize the, you were in trouble? When did you finally say, hey, I got a problem here? Well, I think I knew it intuitively for a while when I began to drink for stress and drink alone. But I relate in my book a very dramatic event that happened in my life on June eleventh, 1984. And it's a day that I, I'll never forget. And my wife invited me out. I knew I was having drinking problems I knew that she was getting ready to leave me. I'd been a lawyer for about 20 years, and I was, you know, my liver wasn't doing very well. My doctor was saying that my triglycerides were too high and all this stuff, but I was still kind of kidding myself. So one night she invited me on this Saturday night to a uh, uh, dinner with some friends of ours, good buddies. We drank. We were, spent New Year's together. So we went down to Oakland to the uh, hotel on Hagenberger Road, and we went there early, about 5.30, and when we went there, I went to the bar. We were always going to go and have a couple of drinks, and... So when I turned to go to the bar, she says, no, we're meeting him in the coffee shop. I said, coffee shop? Why am I in the coffee shop? She says, come on in. I walked in the coffee shop. It was empty, and there were four guys sitting over there on a table. I looked at them. One was my former partner. One was a guy I kind of knew from the trial lawyers. Another one kind of uh, a guy that was a stranger. My wife, Liz, at the night, walked up and said, "Uh, these guys want to talk to you, Gary. I said, what about? They said, they want to talk to you about drinking. I said, oh, you want to drink? Let's go in the bar. (laughs) Uh, No, that wasn't what they wanted. 
Well, I had never heard of an intervention. It was a very new thing then. And they sat down and started talking to me around this table about how I was drinking. I became angry, self-righteous, very unhappy. And I turned to them and I said, are you trying better cases than I am? And I pounded the table. And for about 45 minutes, I got so ticked up, I walked off and drove home in stony silence. And when I got home that night, I turned to my wife and I said, well, you don't expect me not to have a drink or two after that, do you? <laughs> so I went in with my self-righteous anger, poured myself two scotches, and I realized that I'd been hit in the face. They'd hit me right where it hurts a lawyer, in his ego. Absolutely. I'd been publicly humiliated, and I turned to my wife that night, and I said, for the first time, I drank every night for 25 years. I said, I'm quitting drinking, and I stopped the next day. Wow, wow. That's, that's an amazing story. When did you realize uh, or decide that uh, you wanted to write this book? Well, I, <laughs> I went back to my 50th high school reunion. Uh, now, you can't see me on radio, no, but I don't look anywhere. You're not that, that old, old but, enough. But, but I went back to Roosevelt High School in Seattle. Larry, I did not know one soul, and there wasn't one person in our class of 700 that knew me. Not one. Really? I had lost track of everyone in high school. There were three people that I knew who graduated from high school. One went to prison, one died, committed suicide, and I'm the third. I had become a gang member in high school. I put a tattoo on my hand. I stole cars. I had a switchblade knife. I was down on First Avenue. I was running around in burlesque places, and I was totally off the deep end. I, I didn't go to any football games. I didn't go to any proms. I barely got through high school when I got out. I had to, couldn't get into anything but a community college. And so after changing my life and turning my life around and going to the best private school in Bolt Hall and doing well with my life, here I went back 50 years later to kind of come full circle on where I was. And I went back to make some new friends because I figured I probably was one of the most successful people in our class mm -hmm. by a lot of standards. And so I went back and formed some new friendships. And it was a very remarkable time to realize what a different... Uh, kid I was at 68, then 18 at 50 years later. And I said, you know, I, my spiritual counselor and the, and the fellow that uh, helped me uh, publish the book said, you know, really should write a book about your life. You really lived an interesting life. Wow. And so I decided to write about it uh, because I think it is a life that not just for lawyers, but my path may be a little different, but the struggles I've been through are in there. So I just decided I'm going to lay it out and there are no punches pulled in this book. There's no BS in this book. I mean, this isn't about, uh, although I talk about some cases I won, I, I lay it out of what it's really like. Well, you know, all of us, uh, as we go through school, high school and college, we're all pointing towards a life that's of what we would call success. And we're all looking to be successful. And yet, and yet, as you went for your version of success, somewhere down the road, as you look back, you saw you had a price you had to pay. And, and that's obviously in this book. What, what are some of those lessons about striving for success and some of those little deviations off that road that really lead to the problems that you faced? Larry, I think the problem we have is how we define success. And I think more and more nowadays, success is defined by how much money you make. It's strictly material. What kind of car you drive and where do you work? And that's really not what it's about. Success is about not only just having friends and having a good family life and, and loving the people around you. It's something even deeper than that. Success is about finding who we are. I believe, after the struggle that I've been through in my life, that the purpose of our life is to find, to be the best human beings we can be and to develop ourselves to our highest level. And that, to me, is what success is about. 
And that means altruism and giving to other people. It means a whole bunch of things of moving beyond the egocentric place of where we are as children and where we oftentimes can be where we think it's materialism or we think even a, uh, a good wife and a good life can make us happy. There's something more than that. We have to take it a step higher. Now, I'm not getting into religion because I'm not talking about churches. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the subtitle of my book, I Lost My Soul. I lost touch with who I was and who my values. I didn't know who I was anymore when I was in the fast lane. And I think our purpose is to do what all philosophers and all religions have talked about. Find out who we are. Look to our roots. Maybe our family roots. You and I were talking about family earlier. Yes. All of this is finding out who we are. Who are you, Larry? Who am I, Gary? Who are you, Stephanie? What are we here for? And what is the purpose of our life? And I think when we begin to see it that way, we're moving into the 21st century and a higher spiritual understanding of our lives. So what I take is a psycho-spiritual approach, psychologically and spiritually, to work together. That's where you find success. Well, you know, it's, all, it's often uh, stated even more simplistically that we have to go from being selfish more to selfless. You know, we have to, we're, we're, as you say, what we're always looking for is how can we benefit ourselves by growing and getting more money and more, more accumulating more assets. You're saying let's look a little bit outside of that. How can we help others and how can we really find ourselves and be more centered? I think that's definitely a part of it. I think that's very well said. But I also think, aside from helping others, you need to look into yourself to find out what, what really is, gives you the satisfaction and who are you and are, you, are we connected to something beyond here? Now, part of what I explore in my book is what is death? What, what do we mean by death? I've had a lot of experience with death vicariously because I've represented so many people in wrongful death cases, and I've had all kinds of things that forced me to read and understand it. What have you and, discovered about that? What, what, what would you say about well, the concept of death? I, I can only speak for myself. I feel very strongly that we don't die. Uh, that This is what people have really studied it say. I think that there's a spirit and a soul in us that live before and lives afterwards. I don't think we are our bodies. I think there's something more in here. And when we can get in touch with that more is... Well, that's encouraging for me because my body isn't doing so good right now. <laughs> well, you look, you look fine to me and you're, you look... Uh, I mean, you know, you're doing well. But I, I think we have to... It's, it's a very satisfying sense to know that. And I've had so many people realize what happens when people die and come back. And I discuss my mother's death and how I need to get in touch with her soul after she died. And then I've got a whole chapter in there. Uh, and entitled, Why Me? And it's kind of the same question. 35 years, I sense, picking a, uh, across my desk from people who had the most horrible things happen to them you can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Wheelchairs, lost limbs, scars, losses of spouses, and the worst thing that can happen to anybody, the loss of their child. And they would say, these are good people. Why did this car hit me? Why did I get injured? Why did this doctor mistreat me? Why, why, why? I couldn't answer it. Yeah. I was frustrated, and I had to answer it for myself. And finally, I think I found the answer for me. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not preaching a church. But I found the answer that made me feel a lot better. And that is, I think we need to go through these tragedies to learn and grow who we are. So it comes back to what I said before. If we are going to un- analyze and understand what our life is about, we have to see the tragedies, whether it's the loss of a case or the worst thing that happens, the loss of a child, or the loss of a marriage, the grief that I've been through for that. We need to go through these losses. And life is about the joys 
You can't have happiness without unhappiness anymore. You can have light without dark or left mm-hmm. without right or man without woman. Well, you certainly can't appreciate some of those things without without the downside. You know, the old con- concept, you can't appreciate the sun unless you have the rain. You know, because you have to have those those back and forth to be able to have a centered life. Mm-hmm. N- not everything is bad and not everything is good, but you have to have that center. Your revelation about all that, I mean, somehow you have tremendous personal success while you were going through all these troubles. How did you... How did you manage, with all the chaos around you in your own personal life, to have such professional success? Well, I've been blessed to have a very rich uh, uh, group of experiences with the people, and I was always uh, encouraged by my work because I never took a case I didn't believe in. I could always fight for what I believed in. But everything changed for me on June 11th, 84, when I quit drinking. With the intervention. Because then my head came clear, and I could begin to, to, to do this, and... And I moved to what in, in the recovery programs is called the 12th step. And I moved there very quickly, and I started reading books. I read between 250 and 300 books. One of the Revelation books was Shirley MacLaine's book, Out on a Limb. I read all this stuff about spiritualism. And so I did the work that I think we all need to do to really understand and answer these questions. Why was, I, why was my marriage failing? Why was I drinking? If I was successful and life was good for me, why was I struggling? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I needed to find the answers. You know, and we see it so many times. Very, very successful people in business—they go home and they have shattered homes, shattered lives, shattered children. It's, it's, it's an amazing scene, and I'm glad you wrote the book about it. Well, let's take a short break, and uh, let's hear from the folks who make Ringler Radio possible. And we'll have much more from Gary when we return in just a minute. This is Ringler Radio, Internet Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates. The only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host, and I'm here with my special guest, Attorney Gary Gwilliam. 
How's that? Hey, you're doing good. <laughs> Terrific. Well, Gary has written a tremendous book called Getting a Winning Verdict in My Personal Life, A Trial Lawyer Finds His Soul. And uh, he really exposes his, uh, his frailties in that book, which is a tremendous thing for all of us to learn from. Uh, Gary, in addition to showing us that personal side of your life, uh, you also talk about some of those groundbreaking cases you've handled uh, while you're you know, a successful lawyer in California. Looking back over your career, what, what stands out? What are you really proud of back there on the professional side? Let me just say one thing preliminary before I answer your question. Sure. I want to thank you again for being on this program. I really congratulate you and Ringler for all the good work you've done. I've known the work you've done for years, and we need people like you who are out there helping people that have serious injuries. And I wasn't paid to say that. I just want to let you know I honestly believe that, and I appreciate the work you're doing with this program. Now, to that, answer well, you, I want to thank you for that, and I don't, I don't see that as an intervention at all. I just think that's <laughs> No, it's, uh, we, need, we need more good folks like good. you out there. But, but answering your questions, uh, I think that there were the, 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 the case that I talk about in the book that I think was really a life-changing experience for me is once I quit drinking. Now, I had tried, I start with this, this case that I tried in a terrible, terrible uh, gas tank explosion case in the 70s. And I tried this case before the famous Ford Pinto case, which was blown up. I tried, and nobody had ever heard of this, and I lost this case and went through all this stuff and drinking. And, and in the meantime, <clears throat> while I was continuing to drinking, I tried, you know, everybody wanted a big million-dollar verdict. Well, I tried $5 million cases. Unfortunately, the jury didn't agree with my assessment, <laughs> and I still hadn't gotten a big verdict, and I guess like anybody's ego, I wanted it. So for what happened to me is when I quit drinking and I stayed my head around, I found the right case at the right time and tried this hand injury case about a year after I'd quit or a little less than that. And it was just a marvelous result for my client who is still, a, he's like a son to me. He's a dear friend after 20 plus years. And we got him a great structured settlement Wonderful. that he used as a young man. He was 19 when he was injured. He was like 25 when he got his money. And now here he is over 20 years later, and he is still benefiting from money that comes in. He still has some balloon payments that came in 20 years later of several million dollars. He's got a wife, family. I won't mention his name. He doesn't like to talk about it. People don't know that he has money. He's a classic example of somebody that benefits from a structured settlement. And, again, you didn't prompt this from me. Uh, no, but you know what? It's it's people like that. It's it's claimants like that. That and, and lawyers like yourself who have who have encouraged those those clients of yours to take a structured settlement that have yeah. allowed them twenty years later to have the money to fall back. Well, he's the best example I know of somebody that really used it well, and and he had very bad injuries to his hands, and now he's uh, happily married, two kids growing up, and they're graduating from college and high school. And but having said that, so mm -hmm. this case was important to me personally. It was uh, a, a big verdict for a lot of reasons, but um, you know, it's uh, I've had a very satisfying career. It's hard to just—it's just not about big verdicts. Sometimes even your littlest cases mean something really important to you because you've done oh, something absolutely. good for your client. Absolutely, it's—it's it's amazing how you know you work on a lot of cases. Some of the most satisfying ones are the, are the smaller ones. You've helped somebody uh, you know get over the hump of, of a real problem. Well, had. I'll tell you what we do that's sort of interesting. A lot of people don't realize this, Larry. <clears throat> we take in our office less than one out of 100 cases that come in with calls. And yet every person who calls our office, we take an intake sheet, we talk to them, and if we don't take their case, we send them a letter and we try and explain to them why. 
a lot of people should not bring lawsuits. They don't have good cases. They, they've been wrong, but maybe they can't prove it. Why get them started down the line they need to go in? And I think a lot of people who are critical of lawyers do think we just run out and file lawsuits in the contingency fee system. Don't realize how much we help others by not bringing cases. Whereas if lawyers who get paid to defend big companies, they can run up bills and take a case and have a frivolous case that they, I mean, a frivolous defense, and they should tell their client to settle it. Instead, they litigate the darn thing for years so they can make money off it. We don't do that on the plaintiff's end. Yeah. It doesn't do us any good. It doesn't do our client any good. And yet, I think people don't really understand that, that on our side of the fence, we don't encourage anything frivolous. It's the defense that oftentimes does that. You know, what typically happens is when you, when you decline the case for those reasons, that person will go seek out another lawyer, and that lawyer may be on that, that treadmill of success and maybe grab that case and try to run with it, facing the same problems that you're ultimately going to be telling them about in your book. You're hearing uh, more about cases where lawyers are getting help now before things become really a problem for them. And obviously your book and some of the things you've talked about have helped that. It must give you satisfaction to know that what you're doing now is helping a lot of these lawyers out there. Tell us, tell us how you feel, having written the book and having seen how lawyers are taking it to heart. How does that make you feel? Well, Larry, when I decided to start to talk about what was real about 15 years ago, I was an oddity. Uh, people were uncomfortable. They weren't ready for a lawyer to stand up and lay it out and talk about a loss and see what it felt like and talk about things. And they came here to see a successful lawyer. They wanted me to talk about my wins. And uh, there were only a few of us around the country who were beginning to talk about what I call these real issues with this. And I think that's changed significantly. And so to the extent that I'm on the cutting edge of doing something that I think is a part of our whole New information age. I think this is the, the 21st century where people have information. They can go get counseling where we didn't used to years ago. We can talk. There's books about divorce. There's so much more information about substance abuse, about child abuse, about uh, spousal abuse. All this stuff wasn't available to me as a younger person. So if I can help open up the legal profession and help people begin to understand that they need to deal with these issues openly and honestly and not see them as weaknesses and not be feel that they sh- they're supposed to be perfect and that they're supposed to have this put on this armor. I talk about how we put on our armor as lawyers and we go walking around. We need to take that armor off and be real. Exactly. Well, Gary, this has been terrific. Uh, how could people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your book or where you'll be, where you'll be speaking or just to get in touch with you? How do you do that? I'm really easy to get hold of because I have a very unusual name, William. William. I'm in Oakland. Uh, you can call me there. My phone number is 510-832-5411. My email is gwilliam, that's G-G-W-I-L-L-I-A-M, at G-I-C-C-B.com. The initials of my law firm, William Ivory, Castle Cavalian Brewer. Terrific, and I'm I'm sure a lot of our audience is going to be doing that. Uh, I, I I'd think love to hear from happen. them. I'll send them my book directly from there, and uh, um, uh, I'm uh, open and uh, ready to do anything I can to make people a little more aware of uh, what they get out, so they can get up the learning curve faster than I do. They're not going to have to go through 25 years of alcohol abuse, and they can pick it up a lot sooner. And uh, if I can help lawyers or anybody else do that. And my life has been a success. That's what success well, is. Well, that is absolutely true. And I know a lot of people personally that I'm going to recommend this book to. Although I don't need it. I don't need it myself, though. You know that, Gary. Well, I'm going to give you a copy <laughs> anyway, Larry. I mean, you don't have to read it. but I, uh, I, I hear you. 
Well, that'll do it for this edition of Ringler Radio. I'd like to thank you, uh, Gary William, for being such a great guest. Uh, again, the book is Getting a Winning Verdict in My Personal Life, A Trial Lawyer Finds His Soul. And uh, for all of you out there, go have a great day and uh, take what uh, Gary has said to heart. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. 